You are listening to Love, Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Brunswick, Maine. Show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Here are some highlights from this week's program. But you've really tried to live this life of, um, I don't know, intentionality. That's so incredibly kind of you to, to notice that. You know, I'll just try not to start crying. You know, a lot of those avenues we, we simply don't have to consider. And so um, when a patient comes to my office, I have to, or I assume that they are telling me the truth. And that is very refreshing. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 210, Transformative Training, airing for the first time on Sunday, September 27, 2015. Change is inevitable, especially physical change. When we are intentional about building strong, flexible bodies, we can experience change positively and impact our social, behavioral, and emotional lives as well. Today, we speak with two triathletes about the impact of training upon their well-being, designer Linda Banks and chiropractor and acupuncturist Dr. Zev Meyerowitz. Each of them offers personal and professional insights you won't want to miss. Thank you for joining us. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Apothecary by Design. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines prepared by experienced professionals with a focus on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled. You need attention, advice, and individual care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by their store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way that it's meant to be. I always enjoy spending time with people that I know socially as well as professionally and um, people who are good friends of mine who I know also have wonderful professional lives. And today, one such individual is here with me in the studio. This is Linda Banks. Linda is an interior designer and the owner of Simply Home in Falmouth and really someone that most people have probably met in the Portland area. Anyone who's anyone probably knows you, Linda. (laughs) Thank you, Lisa. It's really great to have you in here. I'm really happy to be here and talk about my new passion. Yes, so I'm, we were interested in having you come in and be part of our Active Life column for Oldport Magazine because we know that if anybody has an active life, it's you. And the triathlon work that you've been doing is a relatively new addition to your very active life. So tell me about that. Well, um, thanks to... Uh, Main Media Collective, the sponsor last year for Try for a Cure. I um, was going through a tough time professionally and personally, suffered from some heartbreak and had a very difficult client very far away and was, I I like to say, the perfect storm. I was at my all-time heaviest, um, 40 pounds heavier than I am today. And um, in walks uh, one of my friends from the magazine and I said, wow, you look great. What are you doing? She said, oh, I'm training for the Try for a Cure. And I said, what exactly is that? This was 15 months ago. And um, I don't even think I could spell the word triathlon at the time. And um, she said, you could do it. And I said, well, someday. And she said, well, how about this year? We have a spot left. We're sponsors. So I said, okay. And 
that was sort of the beginning of um, of my new passion for multi-sport endurance activities. It's been an amazing journey. Were you previously a runner, a biker, or a swimmer? Well, in high school, I was always accused of um, be preferring to be a cheerleader than a track participant, but I was actually both, and I hated the track. I did the mile and the 80-yard hurdles, which was an unusual combination. And actually running is, of the three, at the moment, my least favorite. But things um, move around. As For people who don't know, triathlon is um, an interdisciplinary um, race that involves um, swimming, biking, and running in that order continuously with a small transition between each activity. And um, you really have to train for all three simultaneously um, at any given time. And in my case, uh, pretty much every day. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of work. Yeah, it's um, actually, I think it's more work to prepare to train and to wind down after training. I always think if I could spend as much time actually uh, training, just doing my sport instead of finding my gear, getting ready, monitoring the weather, monitoring my food intake, um, getting my running gear on or my swimming gear to the pool or putting air in my tires. It, it all sounds small, but cumulatively, I spend about 20 hours a week um, either worrying about it, working on it, getting neuromuscular massage or uh, you know, winding down after and logging in my entries and dealing with my technical issues of my computer or my running watch or the bike gears. And there's always something that needs attention besides the actual training, which at the end of the day is really only one to one and a half hours a day. And I take one day of rest a week. Well, I want to talk about the other part of you, of you and your professional, and your actual professional life. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about how you're able to balance the work that you do as a business owner um, and also interior designer. How for for national clients, really? Right. How do you balance those things? Also, you're the mother of a of a college, as a graduating college student. How do you how do you make all those things work? It's super hard um, because I work a lot on the weekends and at nights especially for, um, we're also architects, so there's oftentimes we have jobs under construction from here to Blue Hill, to Martha's Vineyard, to Jackson Hole, and you know, my perfect job is when we're actually hired to design the house and do the interior design. Um, but we do everything in between, and I have a staff, but pretty much at the end of the day, um, all the responsibility um, and liability falls on me. So. I find one of the greatest things about doing triathlon work is that um, I can train almost anywhere. It's tough to bring my bike on the plane, but I've done it. Uh, I think running's the most portable and swimming, there's always a place to swim. Uh, when I went to visit Emma last year in England, I swam at the pool down the street. So I, because I work all the time, I feel it's okay in the middle of the day to take a good, uh, an hour to go for a run or um, get up early at the hotel where I'm staying and um, I'll, actually I was on a convention slash trade show in October and I put my running gear on, put my backpack on, I ran to the swimming pool, 
two and a half miles away, swam for 50 minutes, and then took a taxi back to the hotel because I ran out of time. So I think there's some portability to um, triathlon that isn't found in other sports. You Kayaking, skiing, you know, you, you need gear to do those things, but this is uh, shoes, a bike, and a bathing suit. So it's really flexible. That said, I do sometimes find myself on the treadmill at one in the morning or um, at the physical therapist when I'm probably supposed to be at a staff meeting. But um, so like everything else in life, you pick your priorities. And I wish in my heart I could train more than I do, but I train as much as I can. You have a coach also. I do have a coach. I would be nowhere without my coach. It's virtual training, um, but um, a couple hours a month we get together. Uh, fortunately, she's in Cape Elizabeth, Carrie McCusker. She's brilliant, beautiful, natural. She's got it all. She's a mom and a professional and an award-winning podium uh, triathlete. She's on her way to um, the Coeur d'Alene Ironman this weekend in Idaho. And she sat with me for two hours yesterday at Coffee by Design, and we planned my race schedule, um, talked about my form, figured out how to lace my sneakers in a more comfortable way. She helped me adjust my helmet, and um, she emails me uh, every week um, my whole menu of what I have to do. And they're in these little boxes on a computer program called Training Peaks, and I can adjust them if um, I'm going to be on a plane one day, I can't ride my bike, so maybe I'll do it the day before and I'll move the swim square into the arrival at a hotel or something. So it's flexible, but um, she understands the process and she emphasizes that this is really about um, a journey. It's not the results. If we focus on the process, the results come. And um, it's a very slow, methodical journey. You can never cram for a triathlon. It's uh, just a, it's a bunch of small components. It's, and it's amazing. I wanted to go to business school and I really didn't have the time. So for me, this has been a new journey that has opened up a new world of products to buy, um, health and uh, wellness issues to study. Um, I've learned a lot about the skeletal, uh, relationship and the mental relationship to how you feel every day. Um, so there's so much that has nothing to do with doing the try for a cure or doing the polar bear triathlon. All the other things that are associated with it are have just been an amazing learning process. So if you are training for a triathlon, what are the distances of a typical triathlon? Um, I specialize right now since I'm only 15 months into this, so I'm called a beginner triathlete in my own mind. I do what's called a sprint triathlon, and that is um, just a little less than a half a mile swim. Sometimes it's in a pool, which is about 25 laps. Sometimes it's in the open ocean or on a lake. And then um, you run from the water, stripping your wetsuit off as you run to the bike station where all your gear is. You have to pop on your bike shoes, um, put on your helmet, put on your sunglasses, which is a real safety factor, and you have to put on your race belt and you have to mount your bike and as fast as you can ride anywhere from 11 to 16 miles. 
and then as I'm still talking about a sprint triathlon and then when you get back to transition you throw on your running shoes and take off your helmet which is a rule can't run with your helmet on and believe me many people have tried and you have a 5k which is 3.1 miles and uh, depending on the course because um, no two triathlons are ever the same because weather's different and the, even if you do the same course two years in a row different competitors different weather conditions you feel differently one year one race to the next but um, when you come back through the transition you're done when you've done the 3.1 miles and so that's a sprint triathlon and then there then it goes all the way up to Ironman um, but the one that I'm sort of shooting for for next year is called an Olympic distance and that is um, something you can do as a relay member I did it last year I did the 26 mile bike ride on my mountain bike um, but that's um, I think a, almost a mile swim 26 mile bike and a 10k um, so I'm working towards that Honestly, when you get into the Ironman, I, so many of my friends are doing it, and I think it's amazing. I think it's extremely hard on your body, um, and I'm not saying I'll never do one, but um, I've never run a marathon. The most I've ever run is 10 miles, and the Ironman is, um, I think it's a 2.4 mile swim. I, it's a 70 mile bike ride, and it's a 23 mile run, all in one day. So anybody who's into that, I, I have huge admiration for. The time it takes to train for that is absolutely mind-boggling. It's truly an endurance sport. I, I don't consider myself an endurance athlete, at least at this point. But you are a well-balanced athlete. You, you talk about um, you know, sort of the triangle and, right. and staying balanced for sort of all three sides. Has it helped you you were previously a runner, now you're a runner, swimmer, biker. Has it helped you to be able to cross-train that way? Um, helped me in what way? Physically, maybe? Oh, you mean just to... Well, I think um, one of the most interesting things about um, the art of triathlon is that you really do need to develop mental toughness. Um, I think that I've um, been good throughout my life at really taking anything that's been handed to me. I like to think I'm resilient and resourceful. Uh, but what I've loved about learning triathlon is the, um, the mental toughness it requires. I mean, just getting on a bike and riding 40 miles one day or, you know, sw swimming 2.4 miles in the open ocean, which I did in St. John with my group that I went on a training camp there with. I think that really gives you confidence and mental toughness and um, a little grit. But it's scary. I mean, anything can happen. And I think you, it's just like driving a boat. You cannot take your eyes off the wheel or off the bow or you will hit bottom. That's speaking from experience, of course. And if you look away when you're on that bike, you can end up in the rocks or under a truck. It's extremely dangerous. So I think that um, the, um, the need to focus um, on each individual, um, trying on each individual sport, trying to avoid getting hurt and still embracing it and enjoying it is one of the gifts of triathlon that I love. 
I would argue, having known you for a while, that you already had some significant mental toughness. The fact that you've kept this, you've not only had a a thriving business, but you also single-handedly pretty much um, mothered your child, parented your child, Emma, who's now graduated from college. I mean, you've, you've, you've had some grit for quite a while. Yeah. I think uh, you really would never get put through something you couldn't handle, and I've, um, I've enjoyed the journey. It's not always been fun to do it alone, but um, that's the cards I was dealt, and um, I think it's been, um, it's definitely tough on the kids when you're a single parent family with not a lot of uh, contact with the dad, but I think that um, in the end, um, you know, we, we do what we have to do to make the best of it, and I, I think having your health and your mental facilities um, are gifts that I cherish every day, having lost my mom to cancer, which is why the Try for a Cure was appealing to me. Um, it, for those of you who don't know, it's um, an all-women triathlon, and it's um, a beautiful environment. It's a nurturing, safe place, and um, I know personally I've inspired um, lots of women friends to take up this sport as a result of my success in the triathlon um, at at Try for a Cure. If I could just talk about that for a sec, you know, um, like I said, it was a lark that I tried out for it. I think everyone in my office rolled their eyes when I signed up for it, but um, I had so much loss in my life from cancer. Um, My uh, boyfriend in college passed away, my mother passed away, my office manager passed away, one of my best friends, uh, Gene Siskel, the movie critic from Siskel and Ebert, passed away, and I really um, learned a lot that about appreciating people every minute you spend with them because life is short. And um, so when I did the Try for a Cure, as I said, I I had never had any experience doing this, but I was embraced by the group of women at She Jams and Julie Jordan Marchese, who founded the Try for a Cure along with Meredith Strang Burgess. And they have a training group that's non-confrontational, non-judgmental, and I got thrown into that two months before the race they welcomed me and I started training with them and um, I ran across that finish line I was number 500 out of 600 (laughs) and everyone cheers you on and you can't make a mistake and you can never finish last because Meredith finishes last every year which actually was a beautiful safety net for me and I've told it to my friends who are doing it this year who've never done it before So I encourage everybody to try harder (laughs) and um, not not be intimidated by that because people all shapes, sizes, speeds, and capacities um, do triathlon. It's not just pretty, skinny, fit, smart, handsome people. It's all kinds of people from every walk of life. And the diversity of um, the training that's required or however much you want to do is amazing in Maine. To smell the pine trees when I'm riding my bike, to see the sea life in the ocean and climb out of onto the beach on the rocks in Maine or to run um, in the snow, it's, it's amazing. Maine is an amazing place to train. 
one of the things that um, this isn't necessarily related to triathlons, but it is related to community. So I think it's an important thing to share. When I was going through my own breast cancer this past year and surgeries, you actually carve time out of your very busy schedule to come over, arrange flowers, um, bring a meal for not only me, but also the significant man in my life because we don't eat exactly the same food um, and, and connect with us in a very important way. You said to me, I remember when my mom had cancer and I was, I think you said you were somewhere 13, 14, something like that. And I didn't want to, I didn't want a mom who had cancer. I wanted a mom who would make me a sandwich. And I had children. I have a child that was that same age. And it was actually really helpful for me to hear the perspective of a child that had a mother who had gone through cancer. And this is what I know about you as an individual is that willingness to kind of put yourself out there and connect with people. And I mean, I never, you had several friends who were going through cancer at the same time I was going through cancer. And yet you still drove all the way out to my island and you showed up with your with your stuff and then you kind of I think you like were back on a plane the next day or something (laughs) but you've really tried to live this life of um I don't know intentionality that's so incredibly kind of you to to notice that you know I'll just try not to start crying but I remember my mom we grew up in a really big house um when I was growing up my parents saved it from the wrecking ball. It was an old schoolhouse in Rowayton, Connecticut, before it was really cool to live in Rowayton. And my mom loved old houses. Oh, we used to get dragged around looking at them all the time and on the weekends. And um, we had to have a cleaning service, which used, you know, in the old days, rich people had cleaning services, not, not people like us. But we needed one because she was sick since I was two with uh, ovarian cancer and lymphoma. So I remember even when she was sick, she would make our cleaning people tuna fish sandwiches for lunch. She did that for them. So I just felt like, you know, I've been very lucky my whole life to um, be able to provide jobs for people, to give people inspiration because I'm an incredibly positive person and I love that about myself and I believe that's a good thing about me and I think I set a good example or I try. So even though I'm a screamer and crazy sometimes and you know it's mostly because people who know me really understand that I believe in um, people and I believe in the good of mankind and it sounds kind of ridiculous but so I find the more I help people, the more comes back to me in ways that really aren't um, related to money or uh, or gain other than spiritual. You know, I just think that um, making time to connect with people. And I just remember I have a friend who had cancer, and she said, "Geez, every time I'm in the supermarket, you know, during chemo, people drive their cart the other way." They don't know what to say to me. I wish someone would just put their hand on my shoulder and say, hey, Chris, how's your cancer? And that was very profound to me. And uh, yeah, no kid wants to grow up with their mom dying of cancer, but it's, it's, a, it's curable a lot of the time. And last year I 
my journey for Try for a Cure was on um, my friends I'd lost, but this year my fundraising efforts are geared towards the celebrating of my friends who are survivors and who are getting through it because the work that's being done now is amazing. And it's, it's a good investment to uh, support your friends in these endeavors. <laughs> And as someone who has cancer, I also really appreciate your willingness to be open about your about your own personal journey and about your story. And sometimes I think that with cancer, we just want to shut the door and we don't want to talk about it because there's so much pain that can be associated with it. So with all the hope, there's still this, uh, this rawness that exists. So for someone who has had cancer, I am very grateful to have had someone like you who is willing to actually have that conversation with me. Mm, that's I really appreciate you acknowledging that. That means a lot to me. I'd kind of for, forgot. I mean, I remember the evening. It was snowing like mad, and we had such a nice visit. I didn't want it to be over, um, but um, I'm glad you reminded me of it, that it meant something to you. I appreciate that. Well, it did, and it means something to me that you're here today. And um, tell us how people, if they happen to be interested in your amazing design and architectural <laughs> services, which is not exactly what we were talking about, but I know they're pretty amazing, just uh, because that's you have you do great work, and Maine Home Design has featured your work many times. But how would they find out about Simply Home and Falmouth? You can just go to simplyhomepage.com and try for a cure. I know people. Um, we welcome them to Google Try for a Cure and find out more about that organization. And you can start training for it, even if you've missed the actual event itself. You start training for it, you know, the year before. People Absolutely. who train for triathlons, it's a year-round thing, right? All, it's all year-round. Planning your race schedule is part of it. Um, identifying what races you want to be in. Um, and by the way, Lisa, you're running, and now Kevin's running, has really inspired me. I got a slot at the beach to Beacon. Um, never really run a 10K in my life, but that's there's a first time for everything. Um, I think uh, Try for a Cure is, you know, it, the beneficiary obviously is the Maine Cancer Foundation. And um, by the way, they always are, they welcome volunteers even if you don't want to participate. But I think a great way to get involved in triathlon in the beginning if you're interested and you only, because people say to me, oh, I would do it if I could only swim, or I would do it if um, my knee wasn't bad. You can be a triathlete, a triathlete. If you want, you can do it, um, a relay. Just about every single um, triathlon sponsored around here um, has uh, an opportunity where multiple people can participate in the race. It's just like you pass the baton. So I encourage everyone to try it at least once, and I dare you not to get bit by the bug. And plus you get to experience buying fun stuff like bike helmets and wetsuits. Buying expensive stuff. I will say that... I think it was the New York Times that said triathlete is a sport for rich people, but I, I, I find that totally ridiculous because anybody can do it. You can borrow a bike. You, as long as your helmet's rated, that's like one of the only requirements and a bathing cap so they don't lose you in the ocean. You need to be visible. But honestly, I think you can go as elite as you want to with your equipment or as um, basic as a good old pair of running shoes and a used wetsuit <laughs> you do need a wetsuit in Maine and hopefully used from somebody who 
you trust. Yeah. So, yes, <laughs> just from a health standpoint. Well, we've been speaking with Linda Banks, who is an interior designer and owner of Simply Home in Falmouth and a friend of mine and a designer that's been who has been featured multiple times in our magazines and a triathlete. Um, I really appreciate all the work that you have done in the community, and um, I appreciate the time that you have spent supporting me personally. It is quite an honor to have you here today. Thank you so much. I'm really touched that you thought of calling me because there are a lot better triathletes out there than me. (laughs) But thanks, Lisa, and I admire the work you're doing. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Berlin City Honda, where the car buying experience is all about easy. After all, life is complicated enough and buying a car shouldn't be. That's why the Berlin City Honda team goes the extra mile by pre-discounting all their vehicles and focus their efforts on being open, honest, and all about getting you on the road. In fact, Berlin City recently won the 2015 Women's Choice Award, a strong testimony to their ability to deliver a different kind of car buying experience. Berlin City Honda of Portland. Easy. It's how buying a car should be. Go to BerlinCityHondaMe.com for more information. Our next guest is not only an athlete himself, but a healer of athletes. This is Dr. Zev Meyerowitz Jr., a Maine native, who graduated with a BS in human anatomy from Cleveland Chiropractic College in Los Angeles. He completed a dual professional degree from New York Chiropractic College and the Finger Lakes School of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine. Dr. Zev also holds subspecialties in sports science, human performance, and active release technique. He has worked with thousands of athletes of all ranges. Dr. Zev owns Cape Chiropractic and Acupuncture with his wife, Amber. You're a very busy individual. I don't sit still well, Lisa. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell that because uh, you and I were talking before we came on the air, and um, you started as a 12-season athlete at John Baptist. You're in their Hall of Fame there, and you're, you've been working at a very high level with your own triathlon training and performance. You're um, getting ready to do a few races that essentially have enabled you to turn professional if you wanted to. Yes. Um, in addition to practicing in the office, uh, I, I'm very avid in triathlon and uh, I started out with I think the first race I I panicked on the swim back in 2010 and when I got out of the water I I couldn't run straight I kept bouncing off the the corral uh, walls and uh, then I I was having to walk the the run which was a 5k you know and you started in a very low point but it was so addictive Uh, and over the years I've I've slowly you know followed the training and allowed your body to uh, slowly adapt from one of of a, a sprinter type physiology to one of a more of an endurance focus and so yeah at Ironman uh, half Ironman Montremblant in June I, I was a third overall amateur which is uh, one of the criteria required to turn professional and uh, I, I am deciding whether or not to take that status in 2016 yeah Zev, I'm interested in the fact that you are a junior. You're Zev, Dr. Zev Myrowitz Jr. You actually have a father who is also Dr. Zev Myrowitz. Yeah, it, I, it's a very common name, Lisa. Yeah, I'm sure in the yellow pages you can find half a dozen of us. Um, yeah, not not only am I uh, Dr. Zev Myrowitz Jr., um, I'm also a chiropractor and a fully licensed acupuncturist. I have two separate healthcare degrees, and my my father also has the exact same two 
degrees. And so when we are working with insurance companies or labs or ordering MRIs or any of the various uh, procedures required, yeah, it's, it's very funny because I know that the technicians are, or the people who are doing the intake for the data are looking at this and saying, surely not. There can't possibly be another person with, these, with this combination. But we still consistently get each other's uh, uh, lab reports and, and various findings. And it's, it's entertaining, yeah, but it can be troublesome at times. He should have known better when I was named. <laughs> Well, perhaps he didn't know that you were going to follow in his footsteps, footsteps so completely. Yes. Well, my, my grandfather is a chiropractor as well, and I have two other brothers who are chiropractors. We, there's five of us, and we still actively practice, all of us. Uh, my grandfather works in the greater Bangor area, and he still sees about 100 patients a week, uh, over 100 years of experience in the family helping the people in Maine. And I do have to thank my father, my grandfather, because I, I very much uh, believe that the uh, skills that they developed were passed on to me. <clears throat> so what is it about acupuncture and chiropractic that seems to work well together? So the, the big picture is that you know, chiropractic, uh, and specifically the combination that the practice that, that we utilize, you know, it's, it's not that anyone... Uh, so the big, uh, the, the big thing is that it, with chiropractic, there's this idea that spinal manipulation is the only tool that we utilize, and uh, very often that's that's one of the minimal tools that I utilize. We have a whole caveat of different modalities that are. We have a whole uh, complement of different tools that are available to us that we can take advantage of. Um, and manipulation, uh, while one of the uh, stronger interventions that we can have, isn't the only one. And uh, active release technique is a, a soft tissue specialty that I have that focuses on um, breaking uh, soft tissue adhesion that develops between muscles or tendons or, or within them. And um, that helps to really strongly remove a lot of the cumulative tissue injury that can occur from regular buildup or um, repetitive use injuries. And so between all of the different um, modalities available, uh, we can utilize those to just help patients function more optimally. Now often, you know, we'll get somebody who has gone through you know, a, a surgery or a uh, trial of physical therapy, and they just haven't responded terribly well. And that's not to say that one is better than another, just one tool does not work for everybody. And uh, often it's that, that that is not being specifically addressed enough. Um, and so the work that I do specifically focuses on um, targeting exactly what the issue is. One very specific subspecialty that I like to work on is uh, working in the world of nerve entrapment. Okay, uh, Everyone's heard of carpal tunnel syndrome or sciatica, you know, and those are very uh, gross or, or general names to describe irritation to two different nerves. However, there are many nerves and within each of them there are multiple sites that they can get a little entrapped or a little stuck and one of the areas that I work on is I, I'm very good at isolating each of those individual sites and helping to get them to translate through their little tunnels that they run through. And so if somebody's having you know, a sciatic-related pain, 
um, that's worse when they're sitting, but they don't have any signs that would suggest that it's related to a nerve root issue that's in their back, and that it's just more due to a, a pressure on that nerve in the associated soft tissue, that's one of the areas that we really help to remove the symptoms for. And so going back to chiropractic and acupuncture, in, in the application that I utilize, and they're very complementary, um, both uh, disciplines, you know, a lot of the newest research is coming out and supporting that uh, acupuncture, for example, particularly electroacupuncture, helps to accelerate nerve healing. And so you can utilize that. Um, there's, there's a uh, dearth of, of tools available to assist when people have nerve injury. Um, standard uh, medical algorithms are physical therapy or occupational therapy and allowing the nerve to heal on its own. And that takes time and sometimes, the, the, sometimes if somebody's a stroke victim or they've had a disc herniation, um, once they've gone through the algorithms, uh, they're just told, you know, what's going to happen is going to happen. And um, there's a, a lack of information that's conveyed that there's additional work that can be done to help improve function or restore sensation or motor control. You know, and so in my application, I find that patients who patients will typically follow either a a model that follows a standard medical nerve root distribution or a referral pattern that's very well documented, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes they follow a referral pattern that's not in the standard charts. And when that occurs, most frequently they're describing symptoms and sensations that follow a traditional Chinese medicine pain description or a Japanese acupuncture meridian problem. And so the patient comes in and tells you without realizing what they're doing, which modality or which tool is best for them. And so a patient may come in with a migraine. Uh, two different patients that come in with different tension headaches. One of them tells me that it's very clearly coming from a nerve issue related to the base of their skull. And manipulation may be required, but usually it has more to do with releasing the associated soft tissues of which that nerve travels through. Um, other times they may say things that clearly tell me it's an acupuncture problem and they need to see either myself, uh, my wife Amber Myrowitz, or uh, Genevieve Valenti. I'm listening to this, and I, I love what you have to say because in my practice, I also do acupuncture. Mm -hmm. So it's it is it's always been fascinating to me um, listening from a Western medicine perspective to hear people describe what essentially is a, a meridian issue. For example, they'll have they'll have had problems all along one particular meridian along the right side of their body. And Absolutely. I'll, and I'll say, oh, it sounds like you're having some gallbladder problems. They'll try to translate that back into Western medicine, and it doesn't quite work. But for me, being able to use the different systems and pull together something that might be more helpful um, is wonderful. It's, it's a great thing to be able to offer them. And actually, I know that manipulative work, the type that you do and the type um, that osteopathic doctors do, is great. It's a great adjunct. I think it's so much better than some of the stuff we have, which just masks, masks the pain. It doesn't necessarily do anything to help with healing. Yep. One one particular topic, and I'm sure you've... you've uh experienced this many, many times is, again, going back to, you know, if, if a patient has, uh, for example, difficulty falling asleep, often that's a connection with the heart meridian and or the heart organ within the traditional Chinese medicine algorithm. And the second you start mentioning that, you have to you have to offer a lot of disclaimers that there's nothing uh, medically wrong with the organ and that we're not going to need to send them for an EKG or or anything that's particularly emergent but it's it's very entertaining um 
when somebody can come in and, and they've gone, they've struggled with uh, working in a model that cannot explain their dysfunction. You know, they may be absent of, of pathology, meaning that the you know, medical tests will not explain what's happening, and often they're given the diagnosis that it's in their head or that nothing's wrong with them. And it can be very frustrating with the patient because they are clearly experiencing symptoms. And so I think one, one uh, truth that works very well in our office is that, you know, fortunately, in our, in our, in our office, as chiropractic and acupuncture is not uh, the, I think of the best way to word this. Chiropractic and acupuncture, because we work uh, outside of the standard algorithm for workers' compensation or, or personal injury, a lot of the times patients will access us directly, but they have to go through their workers' compensation physician first. Um, we are, and because of the fact that we do not prescribe, um, there's no or at least a significantly reduced potential for conflict of interests, meaning that when a patient comes to me, I can't give them a, a prescription or an opiate if they're looking for some kind of pain relief. Um, I can't give them medical marijuana if that's something that they're looking for. You know, I can't uh, provide them with a lot of the same benefits that someone who is malingering or looking for some kind of care um, excuse, so to say, or they're looking to get out of work when they're not actually injured. You know, a lot of those avenues we we simply don't have to consider. And so, um, when a patient comes to my office. I have to, or I assume that they are telling me the truth. And that is very refreshing. Um, nobody comes into the office that doesn't want to get better. And it is one of my deepest sympathies to providers who have to at least assume if they can't easily explain it, then there's a good chance that the patient is lying to them. You know, and it can be very frustrating because I don't think any of us got into work because we didn't want to help people. And so, uh, yeah, I think that's the end of that one. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a really interesting point. And I, I think um, having gone from private practice where I wasn't doing any prescribing of pain medications or um, heavy-duty psychiatric medications or, I mean, I had really gone down a Chinese medicine, um, holistic medicine route, gone back, I've gone back into family medicine over the last couple of years, and, and you're absolutely right. I think that there's so many different overlays, you know, people coming in and needing something from me that as, a, as an individual doctor, I'm not so comfortable prescribing, but it is something they can get within the Western medical field. And it does make it really challenging for doctors because we have to take a lot of different things into consideration. And as a doctor of chiropractic, you have just a different set of things you take into consideration. Correct. So one of the things I'm wondering about as we're talking is you gave a talk for us um, with our Apothecary by Design series, and this was on kids and sports and helping build healthy, happy kids who are going to thrive in the sporting situation, but in a very refreshing and balanced way. And I know that you yourself have, have done this. You have been an athlete, and you are an athlete. Um, 
I, I struggle with this because as a doctor, I see repetitive um, use injuries in younger children. I see post-concussive syndrome in college-age athletes who played football or another type of um, sport in high school. Uh, I mean, I see people who spent, kids who spent so much time playing sports when they were younger that by the time they reach the age of 17, they're just burnt out and never want to be active again. Mm-hmm. How do we prevent that, and how do we encourage kids to be active and be healthy and enjoy what they're doing? How, how, what, what do you have to say about that? I think that ultimately, um, one. I think ultimately, it has to come down to the enjoyment of the child. Um, I think that as parents, we always want to, we always want the best for our children, and I think that. Uh, we can over facilitate um, in in today's world. You know the ten thousand hour model, the Tiger Woods type uh, presentation. Um, you know has become very rampant, and so uh, adolescent sports are starting younger and younger, and single sport specialization is occurring younger and younger. And the models and the evidence simply do not support that. Um, I think that if you take a look at many of the best professional athletes, they have a significant amount of experience playing other sports. You know, take LeBron James, for example, who played collegiate uh, basketball and football. You know, take Michael Jordan, who was quite the golfer and also a baseball player. And so, you know, they're... When you look at some of the world's best athletes, it's very common for to see that they have multiple sports specialty and so I think variability and development of athletic skill as a comprehensive set is important and one thing that people ultimately need to take is that if they over if they over um, strive and, and try to single sport specialize too early uh, too frequently the skill aspect of the sport uh, overshadows athletic development and so when that occurs, they're not getting the functional tools that will then allow the skill aspect of their specific sport to develop naturally. And so I think finding balance, taking periods where the child's either not playing that sport or playing a different sport or doing what they want is very important. And so a sport that does require a little bit more specialization is swimming. You see higher burnout rates. Sports as, uh, such as gymnastics, where you are required to specialize a little bit earlier, you see increased burnout rates. And again, it goes back to just the same um, theme, variability, and it still has to be fun. Not, not, it can be challenging and it can be hard, but it shouldn't become punishment or it shouldn't become um, purgatory you know it shouldn't be something that the child feels like they have to go through and it's just no longer enjoyable at all and I think when it feels like they're going through the motions and it's just all encompassing and they're losing the the desire then I think they're you're you're at a point where you need to take a, a break and re reevaluate what's important in their life I also see, um, I don't know that there's a syndrome, but I'll call it uh, spectator spectator syndrome, or uh, I think we've become a spectator nation, really, where there's so much that we have tied up in um, watching our kids play sports, you know, whether, and I'm one of these sports parents, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm outing myself. I'm soccer mom, lacrosse mom, 
basketball mom, swim mom. I mean, I've been the mom of all of these sports. So I've been there. I've watched these games. And you end up almost, um, I don't know, scheduling your entire life around these events. They happen two days on the weekend. They happen several days during the week. And if you're not doing that, you almost feel like there's you're at a loss. So isn't that sort of a strange thing that we've become so tied up in watching our kids and being present for our kids that when that doesn't exist anymore, we're, we don't know what to do with ourselves? Yeah, I, I think that um, I think that it's it's very uh, common to see parents who who live for their children often have to go through a type of re-identification or re-exploration when when uh, the emptiness starts to settle in and I I would say to uh, those parents that even when they're having you know even when they're very active in it I think it's ultimately great that they're active in their kids lives and they need to be there and support that and you know I think that's very important but I also think that it's very important that they main maintain some level of individual identity, something that's important to them. Whether or not it's a part-time job that they really enjoy or some volunteer work, or even if it's a, an individual sport that they have to do, um, I, I, you you need to hold on to that because it will be what is your, your sense of self when, um, when your kids grow up and they move on. And, and they'll still be there for you, but you'll have this grand reawakening where you will have hours upon hours during the day where you're no longer um, needed to perform the same things that you always there for. And so some parents struggle very, very hard with that. And, uh, you know, others, the ones who tend to be able to uh, maintain, you know, something that's their own and that they're active with, I think make that transition a little bit more easier. It can also, honestly, I've seen this uh, contribute to um, very healthy and fit children and very unhealthy and unfit parents. I know that there's, I, I'm a runner. I make sure that I run on a regular basis and I make sure that on the weekends, no matter what soccer tournament, lacrosse tournament, whatever it is, I do my long run, I do my cross training, I make sure that I have that. And I have seen other parents who have come to see me and said, I'm so busy watching my kids play sports that now I have gained 25 pounds and I'm no longer in good shape. And there's something weird about that for me. Yeah, I think it, it's it, you know I think it goes back to the exact same thing. If there's something that you're passionate about, in your case, you know, you, running is something that's individual and yours. You make it a priority and you make time for it. Yeah, you know, I think that um, if I need to get a key workout in, um, it for example, swimming. So uh, with my current practice schedule, uh, things uh, lunches are typically optional, and hours are generally recommended. You know, they they often we we stay late if there's an emergency, we can run a little behind. And so, if I need to get something in, uh, if I need to get some training in that's very specific for me, it has to occur at five in the morning or five thirty in the morning if I want that to happen because I know nothing else is going to interfere with that time of the day. And uh, sometimes that takes a little bit of um, self discipline to make sure that you go to bed early to make sure you're getting enough rest so that you can absorb that workout. Um, but it, it comes down to the same thing. You have to make it a priority on your own. And um, I think parents who are struggling with that, if, if they make those hard steps, I always like to say when you're doing a new sport or you're changing your behavior, it's hard for about three weeks and then it gets easier. And so if you can just uh, really... Uh, 
push yourself and have that focus during that time, then the behavior modification starts to set place and that just starts to become your routine. And once something's a routine, it's much easier to maintain. I think it's also providing good role modeling for the kids because at some point, um, at every level, there's a winnowing away of athletes. And you, you're now on the verge of deciding whether you want to become a professional triathlete. There's most athletes, they're not going to become professional athletes. Most kids who are 10 years old and swinging the bat on, at the t-ball or at the little league field, you know, they're not going to become major leaguers. So if there's some way of balancing that out, say, find some other way to maintain an identity as you're getting older, as you're growing, then that's actually going to be healthier. I, I, I really do worry. I mean, I have now a child who um, his colleagues have all graduated from college and he's in his last year. And I've seen that these are all the high level kids and then they get to sort of the top of the ladder and where do they go? But there is a good way to look at this. You know, you have developed all these great tools, all these, all these great skills. So can you put them into whatever else in, in your life to um, be happy? I think that you, that last part, you, you hit the nail on the head. I think that, you know, and, and to be perfectly clear, I, <laughs> you're, you're giving me too much credit. I, I would be able to race professionally, meaning that I would become what we like to call cannon fodder for the, the real professional athletes, because uh, some of these guys are just, they're unbelievably fast. They're very talented individuals. But to go back, um, I think that the, the sport whether or not it's at the little league level or at the collegiate or the professional level, it teaches you skills. It teaches you very specific skills to persevere and to overcome through hard work, commitment, and focus. And those skills can carry you into anything in life. And if you learn to develop that and if you learn to, to deal just the term that I mean it's very simple I think with I think a lot of the problems that we have are the inability to just simply deal and to take problems that come our way and to acknowledge them and to just keep your head down and keep working until you get through it and it's not stubbornness it's just the commitment required to overcome that obstacle and if you have somebody who has those fundamental skills when they go into the workplace environment we all know it's becoming more competitive we all know a collegiate or a college degree is the bare minimum to get you into the workplace environment um, Work, uh, different positions are becoming more and more competitive and to be able to compete in today's environment people with those skills that are going to be able to demonstrate that they are hard working and that they will get the job done are going to get the nod over somebody who will fold as soon as it gets tough or if they aren't willing to put in that little extra effort because the job requires it at that time. The person who is going to stay late, even if they weren't required, to make sure that it's done properly, I mean, that's who I'm going to hire in the office. Absolutely. Um, one of my very good friends is, uh, is an executive at uh, a very local, very large company. And I don't want to name names because I may, uh, may be in trouble if I do. But he has uh, gone to say that he, whenever possible, only hires people with an athletic background or he hires former athletes and his rationale is exactly that um, if they competed at a, at a high level he is 
more likely to believe that they have the skills to be able to keep their head down and push when things get tough. Well, I, I like to hear that, and I, I think it's great to have skills that translate over. And I, um, I also think it's great if you can maintain a joy and a love for what you are doing. And I think that um, my daughter, who's a Division One swimmer, she, I watched her swimming in the ocean off of the island that we live on, um, and she, she loved to swim. She just loves to be in the water. She is a water animal, a water child, and even after all these years of swimming, she still just loves to be in the water. So I'm hoping that people who are graduating from college and no longer have a collegiate sports um, regimen that they're doing, they can find something like my daughter swimming or your triathlete training um, that, or my running, honestly, that, that keeps them getting up in the morning because there's a joy and a passion and a love for it that, mm-hmm. that kind of moves them forward. Um, and it's not just because other people are telling them that this is what they need to do to train. I agree. I think that w- I think it's passion. I think it's just having passion in your life. And when when things are on autopilot and you're not doing anything that truly brings you joy, then there's no highlight to the day. And we live in such a beautiful environment. I mean, as you said, you're, you have coastal views. I have them as well. Uh, if your daughter can smile while jumping in our oceans, which most of the year are a little less than my optimum temperature for, for swimming, you know, it, it just shows that that you can truly love where you live and you can truly love things about your life. And I think someone who is able to find joy in, in, and find things that they're passionate about, you know, we keep talking about athletics, but it could be something that's not athletic. I mean, many people are very passionate readers or someone is very passionate about knitting or quilting or any kind of skill development. Um, you know, I, I have friends that have very deep musical talents and when, you know, it's, if you have something that you're passionate about and that you love to pursue and dedicate time to and you find joy in, I think that's one of the best things in life that you can find because if you're devoid of that or if you're absent of anything that tu- truly brings you happiness, then that, that's, that's kind of sad. I agree. Well, this has been a great conversation, and I think we could. Um, this is one of these conversations we could just keep going on and on with because clearly it's uh, it's something that you and I both feel strongly about. But for those of you who are interested in finding out more about Dr. Zev Myrowitz, Dr. Zev, what is your website? Uh, we are located at www.capecairoacu.com. We've been speaking with Dr. Zev Meyerowitz Jr., a Maine native, an athlete, an acupuncturist, a chiropractic physician. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for having me. Love Maine Radio is brought to you by McPage, an accounting and management consulting firm that believes the path to success is paved by their ability to build lasting, meaningful relationships with their clients. McPage, accessible, approachable, and accountable. For more information, go to macpage.com. You've been listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 210, Transformative Training. Our guests have included Linda Banks and Dr. Zev Meyerowitz. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit lovemainradio.com. Read about Linda Banks in the upcoming issue of Oldport Magazine. Love, Maine Radio is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Love, Maine Radio Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter as Dr. Lisa and see my running, travel, food, and wellness photos as Bountiful One on Instagram. We love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of Love, Maine Radio. 
We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring Love, Maine Radio to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed our transformative training show. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to our podcast and take a moment to give us feedback on iTunes. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. Love, Maine Radio is made possible with the support of Maine Magazine, Berlin City Honda, McPage, and Apothecary by Design. Audio production and original music have been provided by Spencer Albee. Our editorial producer is Kelly Clinton. Our assistant producer is Emily Davis. And our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Susan Grisanti, and Dr. Lisa Belisle. For more information on our host production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, visit us at lovemainradio.com.